Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, Leadership for Organizational Growth. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 371. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I know you'll enjoy hearing from today's guest. He's the founder and CEO of Wolf Consulting Group, enabling teams and organizations to achieve maximum sales performance. Before moving into consulting, he had an extensive career in sales and sales leadership. And over the course of that career, he's been responsible for earning $2 billion in revenue on behalf of his clients. He's based in New Jersey, right across the river. Welcome to the show, Scott Wolf. Thank you, Elizabeth. Really appreciate it and uh, love being here. Well, I'm so glad that you could join me, and I just shared the top-level bullets from your resume, but could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure, happy to do that. So my career has been characterized by growing revenues, scaling companies, and maximizing performance from a sales and revenue perspective. So for example, I've taken a division in a company from zero to $100 million in revenue in a five-year period of time. The biggest thing I did was from 2005 to 2015, I took a company from 2 million to 200 million in sales from three employees in my division to 200 employees in my organization and took the company public as a chief revenue officer. And really, between the two co-founders, the CFO and myself, really built that company. It was Everyday Health, a health website that competed with WebMD. But really, my career and what I love to do is develop people and grow businesses. Hmm. That that comes out in your voice. You can just hear the the passion and the excitement that you have for it. And that's also, you know, those are such great stories. And the fact that you've done it not just once, right? Sometimes you see people and maybe they were a part of an organization when it grew and they were able to contribute in a powerful way to that. But um, there's something different when you've done it a few times and you've seen kind of what works, what doesn't work. And I'd imagine that informs a lot of the work that you do now. No question about it. As as a consultant, a coach, I'm able, you know, you almost have a feel for it. You see what's working, what's not working, and you know how to fix it. And so I have been very fortunate that I've had two major things in my career, and it's the most fun. You know, one of my sayings, I have a lot of sayings, wolfisms, if you will. The most fun in business is climbing the mountain together as a team. Because when you climb the mountain together as a team, you put your hand out, you help a teammate get to the next level, or you ideate on how do I bring the whole org up up a level? And that's the fun of it. And, you know, I like to have fun at business. And and so, I, again, I've been very fortunate that I've had some of these successes, and they're all people and team-based at the end of the day. Absolutely. And that really leads into what I wanted to spend our time today talking about, which is a key focus of your work that I've heard you mention as we've talked before, and I, I see it in you know the your website and other places, is the idea of creating an environment of success. And I have some ideas of what that might mean, but I'd love to hear what that means to you. Sure. So, and I do call it, you're right, I call it an environment of success where success is recognized, rewarded, and applauded. And actually, where high achievement becomes the level of expectation. Too many sales leaders, they try to motivate their teams to do a good job. 
to me, doing a good job is table stakes. We're here to win. We're here to beat our competition. We're here to maximize our performance. And so that environment of success, if you will, it's setting this winning sales culture where, as I said, high achievement, that's what we're expecting here. And you get people to perform. And I've got to just go on a little bit on that. People ask me, what do I look for when I'm interviewing or hiring a salesperson? And the answer generally surprises them. I am looking for people who are achievers. If I can ascertain based on their resume in the interview that success is important to them, they're going to do very well in my environment. That's such a great example. And I think we can all picture different environments and different spaces where that idea of an environment or a culture of success is obvious. And the first one that I'm going to go to, and this might be pretty obvious for people, but is the idea of a sports team. And I'm a big hockey fan. Uh, I don't know as much about other sports, but it's always interesting when you see a, a league of any sort where the worst teams get the highest draft picks. And you can see a team draft the number one, you know, in the top three years in a row multiple, multiple years in a row and get all of these excellent, excellent individuals and bring them into the bad organization that was bad enough to have the high draft picks and they don't perform. And you see, uh, I've heard about this a lot in basketball, the idea of the super teams that come together and, you know, you get a few key players and they create the expectation and the idea of success and they're able to win. And you might even have a player who isn't the most talented, who isn't the best, and they're going to overachieve in that environment where success is expected. And when that comes to sales, it's so obvious. It's I could not agree more. I do use a lot of sports analogies. I'm a much bigger football fan than I am a hockey fan, but the same rules apply. Coaching matters. The environment that you are in matters. We're not just acquiring talent. We're building a team. And we're building a team that's geared to winning. And so it's, you know, what do people look for in a leader? Well, they want someone who they can count on, someone that cares, someone that leads from the front, not the back, someone who's going to do the tough stuff. And if the players, if you will, see that, they're going to respect that and raise their game. And again, that building a winning culture is not easy to do. And so those are the, some of the elements in, in involved in being, building a winning culture. And then, then there's other things that we could go a little bit to, you know, goal-oriented systems, holding people accountable to that, but doing it, you know, the way I do it is in a very positive, motivating way. And they always, you know, you always say, well, salespeople, all they care about is, you know, their commissions, company. It's so not true. It, it's only true if that's the environment you've set that up to be. You know, in my cases, my teams and my individuals on my teams, they want to be on top of my leaderboard. When in my sales meetings, when I would announce most growth or biggest month, and you know, that's what people were were striving to achieve. Absolutely, it's it's amazing. Like you said, how many people really think that sales is just about dollars just about revenue and certainly i mean nobody's in any job you care about what you're paid uh, not a lot of us want to spend our, our whole lives volunteering and not getting paid for it but 
there's a reason that there have been presidents clubs and goals, uh, gold clubs and different sorts of acknowledgement for decades. And that's because people, people like that. I mean, you, you go all the way back to elementary school. I don't know about you, but we had on the board, there were stars that could be next to your name. There were also, I forget what it was if you got in trouble, but there was something else <laughs> if you got in trouble yep. and you want the most stars next to your name. It's, it's just a natural human response. And that's, it, it's up to the leader though, to set that type of environment and then hire and develop, hire people that they think will succeed. Not everybody is going to succeed in my environment versus your environment. You've got to know yourself to know who you think you're going to work better and who's going to thrive in your type of environment. And so, you know, one of the things that I just want to leave for the group is it's a winning sales culture. It's a goal-oriented system in a positive way, but it's also about the people. And one of, one of the things that I always tell clients is it's always about the people. When you're not sure, it's about the people. So it's, you know, one of the things that I bring is talent evaluation, talent acquisition, but also developing your existing talent, talent and seeing if that's a fit for the culture that you're trying to achieve. Mm, that's, that's so important. And I hear kind of two things when mm -hmm. I hear it's all about the people. Yep. One of them is the idea of getting the right people on the bus and of, you know, you could have the greatest product or solution. You could have a wonderful message, great pricing and everything. And if you hire the wrong people, uh, you're not going to succeed. But there's also that idea of it's all about the people. You could hire great people. And if you treat them like cogs in a giant machine, if you treat them like they don't matter, if you create a culture of fear or of unhealthy competition, you could have the most talented person and they will likely leave. But before they leave, they're probably not going to be demonstrating the, the best results, um, really living out the best of their potential. Yep. They're not going to maximize their, their performance. And, you know, you brought up sports and I see, I listened to a Tom Brady uh, podcast last night and Bill Belichick was on it. And he said, you can't win without good players, but bad coaches can mess up good players. And so, and it resonated as so true. And that again is the environment. That's the playbook you're giving them. That's the tools you're handing them. And so, as he said, you can't win without good players. So again, it's about the people from that standpoint, but you've got to have the right coaching and the right environment so they will thrive and succeed. And it's interesting because when it comes to leadership, when it comes to coaching, one element of that is also the right people. If you've hired people or, or promoted people into leadership, into management, and they're not the right people, you're not going to do well. But I also see so many times people get promoted into leadership and they're not given any sort of guidance, any sort of support. They're not trained. They're just kind of expected to figure it out. And that's certainly not a way to really create a culture of success <laughs> in an organization. Yeah. No, Elizabeth, it's a great point. And I think we've all been guilty of that. I know I have where you're, because it's expected, you're promoting your best seller into management. And because that's what they want. And the skill set is so different 
and we don't do because we're all running at 100 miles an hour. And so it's kind of like, okay, you want it, here it is. And you don't spend enough time really coaching, consulting with that person on developing the other skill sets, because it's really that part now is now it's about we, it's not about me, where you're an individual seller, it's about yourself and your number. And yes, you're part of a team, of course. But but when you're the leader, when you're a manager, it really is, it's so much less about you and so much more about the team. And we don't properly train, develop, I, I would say more than train. It's really developing those skill sets that are necessary to be a successful manager and leader because they're very, very different. Absolutely. I've seen situations where, as you said, you have a top performer in the organization and because they they want to grow in their career, which is just a natural thing that people want to do. Course, yeah. You give them a title of, of manager of some sort. And then a lot of times they are assigned people that they are managing. You're not a manager typically if you're not managing people. And a lot of times they still have the same sale targets that they had before or higher. Right. And it's like, so they were doing a full-time job to produce sales results. And now you expect them to produce those same results themselves, plus all of the other elements of people management when? How? <laughs> I maintain that that is the hardest job, is being this player coach. Because when does one start? When does the other end? It is it, it, it is so challenging to do because they are two separate jobs. And it's unfortunate that uh, we put that burden on it. Some of it's cost savings, and that's what the company wants to do. But it is not the right strategy. It doesn't work in the long term. And, and so, you know, it's something that I really do recommend against, but, you know, it, it, it's really, really difficult. Absolutely. It's the biggest thing. Like you said, it's prioritizing and figuring out what you should be doing. And a lot of times, let's, let's say you're, you feel enlightened as a, as a leader. Yeah. And so you say, okay, you'll be a player coach. So we'll reduce your goal, but we'll have you also um, you know, expected to to manage other people on the team. That that salesperson, that sales manager, might not feel satisfied. Right. No. Hitting no, a lower no. target, they might not no. want to give up their account. Yeah. No, they won't. And you know, I, I think there's two points I want to make on on this aspect. One is, if you're the sales leader managing that player coach, you have to be very clear on what the priority is for them. Don't let them set the priority. You need to tell them, it's, is it, you need to hit your number or you need to hit the team number or you need to develop the people, whatever it is, you need to be very clear because they won't know. And then the second thing is, you know, it's very much what I tell new managers. This is just more new managers is look at each seller that you're managing almost as your account, because that's what the world you're coming from. I need you know, a million dollars from this account. Well, you need $2 million out of this salesperson. What environment are you going to set to have that person thrive to meet their goal? That's up on you. So to me, that some of the easier ways to transition to that is think of them as your accounts because that's the world you're from. Okay, what do I need to do? How do I need to understand them better? What motivates them so they can... I, I hit their sales goals. So those are just the two points I want to make on that. 
That's such a simple but beautiful analogy. And I really think that the same skills that you have to develop as a salesperson, um, especially if you if you're involved in managing accounts, they are actually applicable. It's the but it's more the account management function than the new business development sales function. And so if you transition to that understanding, there's you can achieve so much more success. You know, let's say you were selling um, 10 million and then you're given five people and each of them has a goal of 2 million. If each of them exceeds their goal, you've already exceeded that 10 million. If you can develop some of them to have goals of four or 5 million, you've suddenly massively exceeded your ability. Absolutely. Yep. Something that you mentioned earlier, and and now that we're kind of talking about quotas and goals, is the idea of creating a system of accountability and of goal setting. And I'd love to hear if you have any kind of core principles or wolfisms or best practices when it comes to goal setting, because that's something that I know a lot of leaders struggle with. Yeah. And so there's an art and a science to goal setting. It's just not a science. And so there's there's a feel to it based on the analytics and the numbers, 100%. But you can't be giving teams or individuals goals that they cannot achieve. Because if they can't, and they know it, and you know it, it becomes meaningless. So you determine goals based on past performance, based on their account list, based on what you see in the marketplace. And certainly, you have a budget number that you as the leader need to reach. So it all has to roll up. And I always tend to roll up 10% over my numbers. So if we fell a little short, we were still making our number. But it, it is very much to be meaningful and to have meetings about goals where you are, again, being very transparent. Here are the top three people in the quarter. Here are the top three people growth over last year. Here's the three biggest deals in the quarter. So there's a lot of different ways to go about it. You have to spend a lot of time on it. And you have to, you have to, as the leader, own the number. Because if they see that you're owning the number with your bosses, they're going to feel that responsibility to make the number. And, you know, sometimes we talk all around sales. Sales is making your number. That is job one, right? And that's job one for the sales leader as well. And so it is communicating that sense of urgency around the numbers, you know, and once you give numbers out quarterly, and I let everybody know, when I talk about transparency, everybody knows everybody's number. I don't always, if people are not doing well, I don't make that as transparent. I would, hey, here's the top three. If you're not in the top three, or here's the team average. Here's the sellers who are above team average. I don't do the ones below, but everybody, you know, by definition, you know. Yeah. So, but it creates this culture, this winning sales culture. Again, I'm applauding the winners every month or every quarter, depending on the size of the company and the frequency. And so it becomes some people can't wait for that meeting and others, you know, are, are dreading it. But it's also, OK, here's your goal. And what I challenge managers to do is here's the goal. Here's how we're going to get it. Mm-hmm. You know, let's create our business plan, if you will. So, you know, a quarterly, I, I make my teams do a quarterly business plan. Here's how we're, you know, here's our low, medium and high projections. Here's how we're going to go about it. And here's where I need your help. And so it becomes this constant dialogue of, on how 
what do we need to do to sell more and how, how we can hit our goals? There's, there's so much there. And I'm going to go back to one of the very first things that you said, which is you have to set a goal that isn't outlandish, isn't impossible to achieve. I've seen so many organizations where there's a board or there's, there's some level of, you know, at the top, there's this goal and everybody on the team knows that nobody on the team, including their manager, thinks that they're going to achieve that goal. And then goals, as you said, they're meaningless. Then it's just like, they're, they're words. What's the point? What's the point? Well, none of us are going to make it. And, you know, one of the things that I counsel, you know, my management, the CEOs and presidents, and when I'm consulting with heads of sales, I do meet fairly regularly with the president, their direct boss, is don't do that to them. Because if they're doing well and they're growing their business and making this up by 30%, but they're missing their goal by 30%, they're going to feel like they're losing when they're winning. And that's one of the worst things companies can do is that's why I want to build this winning sales culture. We want to win. We, we want to stretch goal, but we want it to be achievable because one of the worst feelings is trying to motivate teams to win in the market when even if they do a great job, they're not going to hit their number. It's not a prescription for success. It's just not. And there's a lot of balances and the valuations of companies come into it and all there's many nuanced factors, but it takes a strong leader to say to their upper management, no, this is a good job. And sometimes what, you know, you either talk about achieving your budget number. And if the budget number is not right, I switched the conversation to growth over last year. Well, wait a second, we're growing by 32%. The market's growing by 12. On what level aren't we doing well? And it's it's really engaging upper management on that level of conversation. That's that's so incredibly important. And as you said, it's it's dispiriting. It's it's just it's not motivating to somebody if they feel like I can achieve what is actually a victory. I can perform at a high level and it's always falling short. I'm motivated then to find an organization where when I perform at my highest level, I get credit for it and it's appreciated. And I get rewarded and compensated accordingly. And no question about it. That's how you lose people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you talked about, you know, just that, that level of compassionate transparency. And it, it is, like you said, it's assumed. If somebody, you know, if you say you've got 10 people on your team, here are the top three, everybody else is in the bottom seven. <laughs> But you're not going to say you are in the bottom. No, seven. no absolutely not. No, absolutely. I did that very in my much younger career, but that, that, we've all evolved. We've all evolved. Absolutely. And some people hear transparency and they think it means, you know, blunt to the point of rude or the point of hurt. And, and that's just not useful for anybody. So you can highlight the top without like really, really emphasizing the bottom. Everybody's smart enough to understand if you're not in the top, you're somewhere near the bottom. Yeah. And you know, you use the word compassionate. I would use the word empathetic. Mm. You're empathetic to their situation because you've been in their situation. So you understand it. And so you're not hitting them over the head with it. You're just saying part of it is what you're saying. Hey, if they're doing well here, so can you. So let's figure out how. And, you know, that's all part of, part of the process. Yeah. And the idea of, you know, sharing a stat like the average mm-hmm. um, yeah. can be incredibly powerful. Yeah, so if you right. have somebody who's a bottom performer, 
I've seen entire organizations where nobody had ever sold more than, you know, a million or two million, whatever it was. And then they hire somebody and that person is able to sell five million with the same products and services, the same kinds of accounts. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, we have a whole new paradigm, a whole new visibility into what's possible. And then suddenly people are like, you know, what did it take? How are they doing it? But um, it's just, it's, it's respectful. It's, you know, it's compassionate. It's pragmatic. It, it really does make it, it, sense. Pragmatic is, is a great word for it as well. And your job as a sales leader, if somebody does come in and is, is exploding on the numbers, your job is to figure out what they're doing and how I can scale that to the rest of the organization, period. Absolutely. And it's amazing how often it's nothing... It's it's not usually rocket science. <laughs> no, it, it never is rocket science. It's, yep. it's never. I you know one of you know one of my is we're not performing brain surgery here. No one's dying on the table. So take chances, take risks, and be out there. It's so make a mistake. It's okay, and you you have to allow that in your environment as well for people to take risks and make mistakes because no one's dying on the operating table. You know we're selling ads or we're whatever we're whatever the product we're selling, that's what we're doing. And so you have to look at it that way as well. Definitely. Definitely. I think there can be kind of a catastrophizing that can happen or just a, you know, and it is, it is your job. It is your livelihood. And and we respect that and understand that, but certainly most people are not selling something that is, you know, life or death. And some people are good for them, um, but <laughs> yeah, it's, absolutely. it's yeah. very, very different. Hopefully, people aren't selling things that, like, if somebody doesn't buy it, they die. That seems yeah, unethical. No, exactly. Yes, no, <laughs> we don't want to get into that at all. Uh, you know what? What I'm hearing from you, it, it's just a lot of it is the simple, foundational creating, like you said, that structure, that environment for success, where where you've got leaders who have the best practices, have the skills, know what it takes, and they've built a team of people that that are committed to that. Or uh, right-minded like the same way. Yes, correct. I would agree with that. How would you advise a salesperson in an organization where they feel like the environment for success has not been established around them? Is there anything that you would recommend that, that they do other than just leave and find a place where there is an environment of success? Well... One factor I'd look at is how long are they there, right? And if they're not there that long and they feel they can have honest conversations with their their bosses and other peers on the team and just kind of also help management figure it out. And so I, I would encourage honest conversation about it, honest conversation about your particular performance and what you could do to improve. And also just getting back to the last point of seeing, hey, is someone really succeeding? Because if they're really succeeding, what can I do to help to try to replicate that? And then if all of those things don't work, then then I, I would have to recommend that they look for something else. I, I, I really would. Because there's other, there's really good leaders out in the marketplace. It's like any anything else. There's some really good ones. There's some ones in the middle, and there's some not so good ones. And so, and pressure tends to, you know, inhibit performance. That's why leaders part of their job is to try to protect the sellers from some of the day to day internal stuff 
and just create this environment where they're selling and they're bringing back information to you so you can figure out how I can scale everybody. But but I guess getting back to your question, it's having the honest conversation with their bosses and their peers, because I think there's tremendous value in that. And then if, if that's not working and you're not happy, then, then I, you know, there, there's other opportunities out there. Absolutely. Something that, that I heard there that's really important is, you know, there's, there's a level of kind of managing up and there's a level of, um, of, you know, developing consensus, but there is also, um, just if, if you can have these open conversations with your leaders, one of the absolute best things any leader can do is identify and surface and share best practices. And that's the magic of a team. If you're selling on your own, you have to solve every problem yourself. You have to figure things out. You have to learn from touching the stove 10,000 times. <laughs> Isn't it great if I can learn from you touching the stove? <laughs> and like, oh, you said that and it did not work at all. I will never say that. And it's it's just magical how you can see, you know, there's there's something about, again, it's that environment of success. If you're in an unhealthy competitive environment, you don't want to see somebody ramp up faster than you did. And if you are in a culture where you recognize and acknowledge and appreciate success, you want to see somebody blow past your records because you're blowing past the next level of records. And it's it's contributing to your success as well. There's, you know, the more the more the name of the company is out there in the world, the you know bigger bonus that you might get at the end of the year, whatever it might be. Um, it's much healthier and, and you see a lot more teamwork and support than in, I would say, a more traditional, very dog-eat-dog sort of a model. Yeah, no, I agree. And even um, doing the goals, the top three, it does create some internal competition, but it's it's a healthy internal competition, and people are just striving to achieve. and And I think also, is that, you know, you bring up some really good points. You know, how do I help teams bond? So, doing offsites, major. I did an offsite every year at Everyday Health. It helped team bonding so much because you get to know the people a little bit better. Right. And in the Zoom world we're in, it's especially important now post-COVID. So doing offsites, doing things, having them rally around certain things. Like if we had an arch competitor at Everyday Health, it was WebMD. So we rallied around beating WebMD. And as a leader coming up with things that you can rally everyone around, helps enhance the team and build the trust in the team because we're this world this fight we're all in together and so whether that's against a competitor whether that's doing off-sites together or regular events together it's just all you know part of the job as the sales sales leader is how can i what do i need to do to continually have the team bond and really think of themselves as a team not as an individual. And I, I, I think that's really important. Absolutely. And I think you identified one way that you can always get people to get along. And there's there's some danger in this. You have to be careful, but um, is against an enemy of some sort. Right. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. this, this goes all the way back to like elementary school babysitting children. If you've got two kids, they play with each other. If you've got three kids, it's two on one. <laughs> and 
Um, as soon as you have a common enemy, suddenly you can get along with just about anyone. Um, and so having this in a healthy way can be incredibly powerful, right? You're not going to be bashing your competitor, but you're going to be like, they're amazing. How can we achieve what they've achieved and do better? How right. can, they're we, the leader. How can we beat them? What are them? they doing right? Where, where are their vulnerabilities that us as a team can exploit because we're different? We're more nimble or what we're more flexible in our approach. What, you know, whatever it is, you have to figure that out. But I think it's, um, and then the team rallies around that and, you, and you'll see how quickly they become, people want to be part of a team. They, they just do and they perform better as part of a team. Absolutely. And to what you said about getting together in person, I've seen that now over the last couple of years, as a lot of companies are back to doing in-person events. I was just in, in Georgia a couple of weeks ago at an in-person event. And you have people who've worked together for a year and never seen each other, you know, sometimes even longer than that. And there there is just a magic that happens. And so I would encourage anybody, if you're putting together an event like that, make sure you do not pack the agenda full of just product training and all these other things. Have time for fun. Uh, we went bowling. And I, I think the there was more benefit from the bowling than there was from a lot of the training. No, there is. I, I couldn't agree more. We used to do literally team bonding things. We did Olympics and, you know, just scavenger hunts, bowling, just, just again to have fun. And, you know, one of the things that I definitely preach is let's have fun at the job because this is where we spend most of our time. So again, it's part of the environment, but let's have fun at it. It's not, again, I'm repeating myself, but it's not brain surgery. Let's have some fun at it. Let's win in the market. Winning is fun. And that's another thing I constantly talk about winning and we're here to win. And that again, enhances team. And so those are, you know, just some of the things that, that have worked really well for me. Absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned fun and and play. I will just give a teaser. The next episode of the podcast, I'm going to be some, talking to somebody and that is all she focuses on. That's so great. you didn't Sorry. even know that, but thank you for no, setting that up. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, love it. All right. Um, what are some trends that you're keeping an eye on right now? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, one of the things is gaming and the outsized role it's taking in the entertainment ecosystem. And more people are gaming now than ever before, whether it's casual or hardcore. But there's a lot of opportunity for marketers to recoup the fragmented audience that used to be watching TV and are not. And there's just, you know, when you look at shows like The Last of Us, they're based on video games. So I think understanding that part of the market is really important. And I think there's just a lot going on in the gaming industry. And I think there's going to be a lot of big bets by big brands. And we need to think about how we can capitalize on that. I think another thing would be uh, data and identity, new regulations, privacy, and really understanding what's coming out of Apple and Google uh, as it relates to consumer privacy. And we're going to see more clean rooms and data data uh, privacy products that take off in 2023 companies like snowflake they're going to accelerate and become even more important and we'll probably see a lot of new entries into that space and the only thing i'll, I'll comment on trends they're important to follow of course we need we want to be ahead of it but and it goes back to the kind of the thesis of, of this podcast you need to have the right team in place and the right leadership 
to take them to the finish line or else and win or else it won't matter. And so it all kind of works together and always come back, comes back to the people, the team and the leadership. Mm -hmm. That's such a great reminder. You don't want to be, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of, oh, that I think it's from up maybe, but the, you know, you don't want to squirrel, (laughs) the dog that's just constantly chasing the new, the new shiny thing. And, um, and then that's where actually effective leaders can keep their teams focused on the long-term goal with all the shiny things that are that are happening all around. So important. All right. What are some resources that you could recommend to our listeners? These could be your own resources or if you have, um, you know, uh, books or, or blogs or podcasts or anything that you find really yeah. helps you. So just from a book standpoint. Uh, I love reading about uh, biographies of successful business people like the Walter Isaacson, Steve Jobs book. I just recently read the Phil Knight Shoe Dog book. Fascinating about Nike. I'm also reading more for me. It's called The Trillion Dollar Coach. It's this guy, Bill Campbell, that the president and CEO of Google, Eric Schmidt, wrote about him. Eric Schmidt was the CEO at Google at the time and talking about the lessons he learned from his coach, which obviously is near and dear to my heart. And then, uh, you know, as far as podcasts, the big story from Ad Exchanger, a lot on privacy, a lot of things to, to look at there. The current, they interview a lot of CMOs, so trying to understand what the buyer wants, which is obviously so critical in selling. We we tend to just want to sell. We're not listening to what the buyer wants. So I find that to be really interesting. And then I mentioned earlier the uh, Brady podcast, Tom Brady, Let's Go. And I am a football guy, so I listen to a lot of football because I find team I can learn about team. And then the last thing I do want to mention is, and this goes back, uh, there's an old basketball coach named John Wooden, who uh, was a college coach at UCLA. He won 11 NCAA titles in 13 years. And I never knew, I found him out in 2008 or nine that he had written all these books about team building and winning and leadership. He has this pyramid of success that I find fascinating. And I have extolled those virtues to all of my teams. And I would encourage anybody. Um, to read some books on leadership by John Wooden. I consider myself almost a disciple of John Wooden, if you will, because I've learned so much, even though I had a lot of success before that, I just was able to take it to another level of leadership and team building and what's important and what's not through John Wooden. Absolutely. We we put together an ebook on coaching this was a few years ago. And I was looking for quotes about coaching to use just as as part of the kind of section breaks in there. And um, I recognize that name, John Wooden. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing, really amazing. He's probably written 15 books. Yeah, it's incredible. Absolutely. All after he finished coaching. So yep. it's great. Wonderful. All right, Scott, I'm sure our listeners are interested in learning more about you and your work. Where can they find you? Okay, so my website is the, you have to put the word, the thewolfmediagroup.com, and it's W-O-L-F, just like the animal, thewolfmediagroup.com. And also my email address is scottwolf784 at gmail. So scottwolf784 at gmail.com. Happy to chat, speak about it. I'm always, you know, I'm at the stage of my life and my career where I want to help people. And how do I define helping people? It really is helping companies grow and 
developing people and having people succeed because that's what I do best. And that's what I get tremendous joy and satisfaction from and trying to impact and influence people's lives, both on a personal level, but, but on a business level, that's, that's where my focus is and what I love to do. Absolutely. That, that passion, as I said at the very beginning, it really comes out in your voice and it's a fun stage to be at when you're, when you're just looking to help people and finding those areas to do it. Well, thank you so, so much for joining me today, Scott. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Elizabeth. I did as well. It was great, uh, great speaking with you and I hope the audience enjoyed it as well. And thank you to those listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 371. If you enjoyed the show, and I know you did, please recommend us to a friend. That's the best way to help more people discover it. And if you haven't subscribed, make sure to do that right now. You can subscribe for free on your platform of choice. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or email us if you've got direct feedback, questions, suggest a guest that we should talk to. You can reach us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. What are you doing to enable buying today?